Welcome to this episode of The Show. Today's <laughs> guest is Sam Morris. Sam and I met like a few months ago, and he administers Bufo and has developed this entire coaching program yep. around the experience, which is essentially a 20-minute DMT experience where people have like a five-minute nervous system reset a lot of the time, mm -hmm. and then 15 minutes of intense integration and downloads, yeah. and then you've paired with Drea to do the chakra bed and yeah. the crystals, right? Right. And then now you've developed this whole epic program around it to help people really change their life because, of course, the bufo is like maybe like the catalyst for change right the way that you help them look at their lives the things that they talk about the things that they want to change yeah because of not just the bufo but really the awareness that they wanted to change something to begin with right, right. and then all of your background and experience which we're going to get into today <laughs> so right before we got filming here you brought up the hundred monkeys theory yeah and i'm assuming that plays a huge role in why you do what you do Yes, the hundredth monkey is so. It's a it's a, a a story of collective consciousness. So there was an island somewhere in the Pacific Ocean, and these researchers were there observing these monkeys, and they would throw their scraps, their potatoes, to the monkeys after dinner and all that. And the monkey and the potatoes would land in the sand, and the monkeys would be like, "Oh, potatoes!" And they'd be so excited at first to go eat the potatoes, they would just chomp down, sand included, on the potatoes, just happy to have the potatoes. Eventually, a few monkeys just figured out that, like, wait, we can take these potatoes into the water, wash them off, and then eat them, and it's not gritty with sand. And then you've got salt, too. Yeah. Delicious. Little, yeah, a little sea salt on it. You know, eventually, throw them to the grill. I have another story about the Yale monkeys. Have you heard of that? No. Okay, we'll get, I'll tell that one next. It's okay. Slightly different, but similar. Mm. Uh, it speaks to, like, the just the resourcefulness of monkeys. And so anyways, these monkeys, the, eventually the hundredth monkey, hundred monkeys started doing this, washing the food off. And then the researchers noticed that on an island miles away, there was monkeys taking their food that was sand covered and bringing it into the water and washing it off before they ate it. So what this speaks to, there was no communication between the monkeys. There was no similarities between the monkeys at all, except the quantum collective consciousness of the monkeys. Yeah, which is just bizarre. And I've seen so many studies like this published now. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, at Joe Dispenza, when you go, they have the random computer generator thing where it's like basically it does a coin flip, but mm -hmm. like 20,000 times a second. Oh, wow. And then what we do at one point in the meditation is they're running, I think, three of these machines at once. And I could be misquoting that, but they're, they're running these machines. And while everyone goes into coherence and meditation, mm -hmm. you all just think of yes. Or like the first yes and no is the coin flip, right? Mm -hmm. And you all think of yes. And it like crazy deviates these computer randomly generated events, wow. which is just more of that. And then there's also the one where it's like all the, um, they take like a robot that's a mama duck, right? And they take all the ducklings and they separate them. Yep. And it's also randomly generated where the mama duck moves. Mm -hmm. But because the ducklings so much want to be with the mama duck that mm -hmm. it's actually it does change the the randomly generated the movement robot. yeah i've heard that one so it's like it's very real it's very real and i'm presuming that anyone's experience with bufo shows them just how real it is it shows them just how real it is and it shows them just how not real time is mm. um like when you say five minutes and then 15 minutes like 20 minutes i always i tell everybody and i'm like i'm telling you this so that right now you as a human can get your head around what's about to happen. But when you experience this, you're going to... Years. Years or seconds. It goes both ways. Yeah. Like some people are like, how long was that? I'm like, 25 minutes? They're like, no way. That was at least three hours. Other people are like, that was 30 seconds. 
you know, and just so time becomes completely irrelevant and you, cause you really, you compress time or you expand time and you drop into the connection to source. Mm. Source doesn't have a time. Mother nature doesn't have a time, mm-hmm. no clocks. And so the, the idea is that the humans, we want to make sense of all these things mm. and time gives us a sense of that. Yeah. So what are the biggest, like the biggest things that you've seen as a pattern over time that people walk away with? Uh, lightness. Light, mm. freedom. Uh, Why? In their... Why do they have lightness and freedom? It's it's their body. Mm. It's it's because what happens with the bufo um, more so than most other psychedelics. I've done pretty much all the psychedelics that are out there, and there's a there's still as powerful as they can be. Uh, there's still a slight element of human humanity to them, because uh, the the art going in is you know you eat the mushrooms or you drink the ayahuasca or whatever it is. And it's 45, 60 minutes, and then it starts to take effect, and you feel it for four to nine hours. And then it tapers off, and you come out of it. And in that time, it's such a, a long time, that the human comes in and out. And we still have somewhat of a... You're kind of walking that line between conscious and unconscious. Mm. With Bufo, completely human, your human is completely offline. So that means your brain is offline. Mm-hmm. Your safety net is offline. You're, you're, I need to know how this works. What is the process? Give me the checklist. Let me do the math on it. Let me get the human understanding. It's, you have no shot. So what happens is your body takes over. So all that trauma, all that tension, all those stories, whatever it is, you know, uh, one of all the meanings you put behind things are just gone. gone, Well, gone. And that the ones you don't know about in your body are released. So like a lot, like there, it's a, it's a, so ayahuasca is a purgative. And, you know, it, it, people throw up mm. or go to the bathroom a lot or, you know, move around, sweat. With, with uh, Bufo, it's a very energetic purge. Like you'll see a lot of people's hands start to shake. Their jaw will shake. They'll make a kind of like a, almost like the om or the hum or the mm. yum, like the sounds of the chakras. They'll tap into that and start releasing this energy and they get up. Some people, we've had people, many people come in and we do a little meditation beforehand and we sit Indian style and a lot of people can't sit Indian style and because there's so much in their hips and then afterwards they're sitting up talking to us eating the fruit we give them afterwards and they're, and they're in Indian style no problem and they don't even know it and then after a second they're like wait a second I'm sitting Indian style mm. and I haven't been able to do this in 15 years mm. because their body has released so much of that tension and all that whether that, that's trauma like, it doesn't matter what it is the thing that matters is that the head got to shut off because your brain trying to control, oh, like I have a feeling stuck in my heart or a feeling in my shoulder, a pain in my shoulder. And the brain's like, let me make sense of that. Let me go see a doctor about it. And the thing is, it's an energetic attachment to it. So the brain shuts off, the body takes over and the body really releases. And like, it, I call it a, a giant disc defrag. Mm. So back in the day, we had the PC, the big PCs that would do the disc defrag where you take the bandwidth and it's got the you know, the good files and the cluttered up and the dead space and it just shrinks it all down. That's what happens with Bufo Mm. is that all those like faulty programs and viruses and those things get wiped away and you're left with like, this is what people talk about with bliss and connecting to source and this love and divinity they experience. And so all that space that they now have in their body, their bandwidth, it's just where that's when the downloads come in because mm. then the, their body's shaking to basically expand into that new space. Mm. It's so similar to actually what we teach in the experience and the physical side of it, right? Yeah. It's like a, a micro dose of that, if you will, 
right? Yeah. So it, that's so interesting. Have we? Have you tried having anyone dojo before Bufo? No, we haven't. We haven't oh, uh, connected. That would be two, that would be but... interesting to try to do like a week of it. Like if they do yeah. ten minutes a day, we should do that leading up to the ceremony. Yeah. Because I wonder what would change in their body. We, I can't believe I'm recording this, but we tried this with the journey, with the ceremony that we did. Mm -hmm. We did 20 minutes of the dojo. I didn't. Everybody mm -hmm. else did. I yeah. guided them through 20 minutes of it. And then right before we sat down to begin everything, we did um, a, a standing motion that I usually don't teach in the live classes yet. Mm -hmm. It just depends on where the group is when they come in. We might do it yeah. this Friday. And it's a, it's like a co-coherence exercise. So, you know, what we're really creating in the dojo is coherence in the, in the body. Mm -hmm. Coherence in the body creates coherence in emotions, in the yeah. mind, and potentially the soul, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And so there's a lot of things there. So I guess my question I, I'm really curious about now is what's the ideal, like what's the perfect scenario of someone coming in to do Bufo? Like if they're, in your experience, maximum clarity afterwards and like they just go from wherever they're at to a beautiful place yeah what's the ideal customer or the ideal participant so this is one of those medicines that like ideal is almost that's a human thing like thinking <laughs> thinking about it mm -hmm. like people come to us with like what do i expect what am i going to feel am i ever going to feel the same am i, am I going to ever come back and i'm and my answer is yes and no mm. you're going to come back as a much different person and the, if you're going to say like an ideal outcome for me and what I've experienced personally with it and also having seen people and walking people through it is it simplifies everything. Mm. A lot of people, and I had this experience too, come out of it with like, it's so simple. It's like all life so simple. Is so simple. Life is so mm. simple. That's beautiful. And motivated, most of it is just be a good person. Mm. Just do what you know is right and the rest will fall into place. And people get so wrapped up in the anxiety of it, the insecurity of it, the... The letting go. The letting go and not mm -hmm. letting go. Mm -hmm. The holding on to whatever it is, the heartbreak or the, the how they think it should look. People, this is the brain. We love to be in control. This is our control center. We love to predict the future. We love to predict the future. We love yeah. to know how it's exactly how it's going to look. Mm -hmm. And the question, the real thing is, is like, we may know how it's going to look, but we really have no idea. <laughs> not, yep. a, not even a clue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah. And so... When people come out of the booth on the other side, the ones that seem to have the most success with the integration are the ones that can really embrace the how simple how simple it can be. Because mm. you know, like people have control issues where they like withhold love or they um, try to control all the situations around them and have like all these fallback plans. Like, what if it doesn't work? Contingency mm. plans. The people that have the best success with the integration are the ones that can really embrace that it doesn't have to be that complicated. I don't have to fight every step of the way. I can release control. Because they walk through some scary shit in the Bufo. Like it gets, people have like, we've had grown men, bodybuilders, come in and, and go into the field position and scream at like a four-year-old high-pitched level. Like they're seeing a like some sort of darkness creature. And then come out of it and just be like, wow, I was so scared. Mm. And it's like, yeah, but you, you did it. Yeah. Like you're here now. And then the people that can really like... So it sounds like, so the way that I sort of define, we'll call it vibration, which mm. is wellness, right? Mm -hmm. Is, and this is interesting because Vibrovision, are you familiar with Vibrovision? I've, yeah, I've heard, of, heard of it. Yeah. So they teach what's called, um, I don't even know if I should technically share that, but for the dojo, <laughs> what we talk about is like, like your vibration mm -hmm. and creating coherence. That's one part of it. Mm -hmm. And then the other side of it is capacity. 
Mm. So it's coherence and capacity are the two things that we talk about. Mm -hmm. And then there's, there's several models, but coherence and capacity are the two. So what we teach in the dojo is coherence. Capacity is like working out or exercise, yeah. or it could be like cold plunges and, you know, challenging the body, challenging your mind, challenging yourself. That's what increases capacity yep. and making it through it. So it sounds like Bufo is like a really intense capacity builder. Yes. Like someone faces a dragon and survives. Yep. And they're like, oh, I can survive that. Yes. My capacity has now increased potentially, you know, tenfold or exponential. Yes. And that's a lot of times where people run into problems afterwards is like, is it's, they've been in that confined, the prison of their own beliefs for so long. They experience this space afterwards and they're like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to, like, I'm not responding the way I used to. And I don't, I don't know what to do. And it's, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's, it's beautiful. Mm, and, and so that's why a, you've created the integration. Yes. This mm. is why we've created the three, we have a three month integration and yep. a year long program. So, so talk to me about kind of the overview of what integration looks like. Like so, what are the processes? Yeah. So it's a three months and it's really, it is the first month is a calibration. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I would venture to say like if you had any life-changing experience what you're about to say is really valuable 100 percent. like yep. it could be a completely sober weekend away with sacred sons or even like a vacation with your family that was like super transformative and you guys all fell in love to another level everything in life deserves to be treated as a ceremony and integrated everything this podcast dojo experiences all of it it needs, we need that recalibration because we're going to get shown. And this is where being open to what I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. And I don't know what I don't know that I don't know. So when you find those things and shine light on those things, if you're not integrating them, if it's pain, it's going to become 10 times more painful because mm -hmm. now you see it and you're not doing anything about it. So you just push it aside. Or it, it gets loud and you can't even push it aside. Mm. So you're now this pain that you had put in a little box, a nice little corner cupboard is now out in the open. And it's yes. like, Hey, I'm over here. Remember yeah, me? Yeah. And you can't, so you have nothing, you have no choice, but to integrate that. Yes. And so, uh, with integration, the first month afterwards, we give it 30 days of calibration and all you have to do. And we tell people all they have to do, all they get to do in this month is be witness. Be witness to what's coming up for you. What's different? Be witness. And then over time, you start to choose differently. Mm. So what's the integration? Is it like uh, phone calls with you? Yeah, Is it a group program? So, um, it's a, it's individual. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Right now, it's a one-on-one -on -one program. Mm -hmm. We're going to eventually make it into a community of sorts. Yeah. Because um, community it. would be... Community is so helpful. I mean, yeah. just to like, just to build those... Because Bufo really is, is like one of those psychedelics where it's like, it is the ultimate if you know, you know. And to talk to someone that that has done the bufo and it knows what you've experienced and what you're experiencing now is massively important because to speak on that level that's why we do a lot of we couples we invite them to come together so that they can if you have one in a, in a relationship and one person's done bufo and the other person hasn't there's going to be a little disconnect mm -hmm. and it's very helpful to have the at least the other person on board with an integration process ideally they come in together either like day back to back days or we have a tandem program that we do too. And so having that level up together is massive. So with the integration, it really is what's new in my life. Like I'm responding differently. Okay. So don't freak out, breathe, breathe through it, get in your body through it, do the things that you know are not going to cause you to fall back into the old behaviors. Cause they're going to come, they're there. I mean, you've been, they've been your best friends for 15 years. 
And so they're going to be like, hey, remember me? And you're going to, yes, I do, but you don't serve me anymore. I'm moving this way. And just noticing it is all it takes. So that first month is really about giving yourself massive compassion and letting yourself feel, letting yourself be a little bit hurt, be a little bit confused, be a little bit raw, and then, and then moving through that. And this is where we teach, this is big energy management. So we do a call one week after the ceremony, and then we do a call with our integration protocol every two weeks for three months. So therefore, every two weeks, they're, that first month, they're working through things, and we give them energy management is so massive. So primal therapies, cold exposure, heat. What's, uh, what's primal therapies? So primal therapies is uh, grief practices, anger practice, sacred rage, um, primal screaming. Uh, basically, it's, it's... How do you give that to them? Is that like a video thing? We walk them through it. Okay. Yeah, we, we actually take we it's part of the it's part of um, the actual ceremony day is we we get them a lot of people never have never screamed before in a primal mm -hmm. way like mm -hmm. they scream like maybe when they get to the point where they're really angry which I'm not saying is too late it's good and I'm glad you're doing that however there's a way to do that you don't have to get to that point and so we teach these people that you know everyone we have them scream three times one for their ancestors one for their their child and one for them currently mm. and so they afterwards they're like wow that just feels, that that feels so good <laughs> yeah just those like, three screams and we're like we know <laughs> <laughs> you can do that anytime yeah car is a great place for that yeah whenever you want to do <laughs> yeah, it yeah yeah and so we a lot of that initial month is <laughs> energy management <laughs> yeah that's great yeah, and then after that, so once they get their energy management... They, okay, so they've got some tools going into that month. The month is all Where about, they're just like, oh, wow, now I can see all of these patterns and habits and ways I say things and the ways I interact with people. Yeah. And I'm maybe I have some shame and some guilt around that. And I'm like, I just, for this month, I just get to feel all of those things mm -hmm. and just kind of be with who I've been and say sorry to everybody and say sorry to myself and yeah. forgive everyone and myself. And just, yeah, and, and I've got these tools that you've given me to help deal with yeah. those emotions that are yeah. going to come up because of it. Journaling, yep. meditation. Um, and of course, work. there's also like you'll now see from a bigger picture how great you are and how wonderful you are and how much people love you. You'll see both sides. And you'll see how much you're attached to complexity and fighting because the simplicity comes in. You know, everyone says it. Oh, it's so simple. Okay, that's available to you. It's been available to you for a long time. It is now available to you again. How committed are you to it? You know, are you going to like try to complicate? And people will. I did it. You try to complicate things like, oh, but I like complicate. Complicate is good. It makes me feel alive, like I matter. And it's like, great, but you're a more effective human when you're simplifying things. So it's really about that just repatterning, you know, looking for the pattern interrupts and repatterning all that stuff. Mm. And so once you repattern that and at about 30 days, the, the, so the medicine sticks with you. Uh, Bufo will stick with you. You'll have reactivations and you're not fully back in a ceremony, but you will have like in your dreams or you'll hear some music or you'll see something that'll, oh, that's Bufo. <laughs> and so that lasts about two to three weeks. So at that month period, you're, you're fully back into your body. And that, at this point, it is, what do you really want from life? Now that you've landed in this new body, let's, let's really design the life you want. Like, where can you be better in relationships? Where can you be better in your career? Would you need to shift careers? You know, where do you want to go on vacations? What what do you really want? So this want? is the dreaming phase. It's alignment. Yeah, yeah. alignment. Yeah, so Love you that. have so you get that clarity because so Bufo is a grenade, and, it, and grenades leave a little shrapnel. So that's the quantum crystal resonance bed that that we work with that Drea has, where we remove all the shrapnel that the Bufo left, 
with soul retrieval, with Reiki, with, with the, um, the 111 Hertz, the Holy Frequency. We give them an hour of that after the Bufo. And then all the residual shrapnel, the, the limiting beliefs, the behaviors, the complicating things, the self-hate, like all those things that really need to go away, that's the month. And so once all that stuff is gone, then you have this massive clarity, clarity of vision, clarity of purpose, clarity of behavior, clarity in your body. Your body's like moving better than it ever has in your life and you're feeling better. So, okay, now that you're free of complex, comp complicating things because it makes you feel like you matter or doing something out of an insecurity or a fear, now that you're free of all that, you can say what I really want in life. Not, not I want this because I feel naked without it. Like, no, I want this because it, it lines up with my soul. So that's where that second month is building the alignment in your life of where do you want to be six months, nine months, a year from now. And then that third month is really about embodiment, just really landing in this, like not only your new body, but your new way of being. Mm. You know, we, we like to call it the North Star. Like what is your North Star? The man you want to be, the woman you want to be, the life you want to live, all of it. Like just keep going towards it. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. And that's month three to the end. That's the, so that's the third. So the month one is the calibration. Mm -hmm. uh, month two is the alignment. And then month three is the North Star. Okay. The and then in the full year program. The full year program is, um, so it's, uh, it's that, that process basically four times. And we, and we get deeper and dive in better and more every time. So every time you go in and do Bufo, it's going to be different mm. every single time. So uh, once you clear... Just for clarification, how many times have you done Bufo? 25 30 times maybe wow yeah okay it, it, it's magic for me it's it speaks to me it's just it's really really amazing and every time i'll tell you right now every time like people get scared about doing it and there's two fears that come up and this is i think with any psychedelic there's am i ready to be different <laughs> yes yeah what what's about to happen i have no clue i i mean i hear things and i've read on google what's about to happen but i don't know that's a that's a legit fear. It's like sitting on a roller coaster seat in all black <laughs> and you have no idea how fast it's going to go exactly. and where it's going to go. Yeah. Are you going to go upside down? Right. Is it going to go off the tracks? Yes. <laughs> yes. And then you go through the roller coaster in the dark and then you're sitting in that seat again. You're like, okay, I know there's a massive turn coming at a massive flip coming at turn three. So there's that like fear or nervousness about the known mm. so the, the, like and i get that every time i'm like okay i, I just ha and what i've learned is that to turn that nervousness to flip that perspective into reverence so instead of fear or nervousness even excitement all that stuff is a that's an embodied those are embodied feelings you know we 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 get anxiety about it or whatever it is in our head but the nervousness the shakiness or the shortness of breath it, it your body is telling you hey, we're about to do something big. This matters. You need to pay attention. And so shifting that nervousness, that fear, that doubt, that all the things coming up into, from that, the negative quote-unquote boxes we put it in, to reverence, for me, has been very, very powerful as far as intention setting goes. That is a beautiful thing. I would like to wax a little bit. Let's do it. Wow, what a beautiful, beautiful belief to have. Because that, that is every area of life. Yes. Like when you have that deep knowing that there's a person you need to talk to or like anything that just feels right, allowing the fear to like just move through and then mm -hmm. switching it to reverence and being like, wow, okay, so this, this deep knowing is clearly for a reason, whether this ends up in pain or whether this ends up in joy, 
there's a huge reason for it. And of course, like listening to stories about other people's lives and how things have worked out or looking at your own life and seeing how things have worked out so magically in yeah. so many scenarios. Mm -hmm. It took some time maybe to become magical. Sometimes it takes a long time to become magical. Yep. You start to be able to take that perspective more easily, you know, hearing other stories, but also especially like life, man. I talk to a lot of young people and they're like, man, how does this work? I'm like, time, dude. <laughs> <laughs> time last thing you want to hear but it's the ultimate truth yeah it's just uh you know keep keep going and keep committing a hundred percent and like you know i'd rather you run into walls faster i would rather want it run into walls faster mm -hmm. and like figure out if i can get through it or around it or if yeah. it's actually redirecting me mm -hmm. then walk really slowly trying to avoid the walls 100 percent. like and you talk about whether this feels good or not people a lot of times will be have like a hard conversation they have to have like it doesn't feel good no, actually, the feeling that you're feeling is just that y you you know a change is coming, mm. and it's stuck in your body and its energy. So that like this is this will propel you like have that heart. I've known and you take time takes time. Magic takes time. Having had many hard conversations in my life, I know that the longer I keep that energy in my body, the worse it's going to get. Mm -hmm. So you For know both what? parties, don't try and figure out the perfect way to say things. Don't try and figure out the graceful way to say things. The one caveat to that would be come at it with the, the come from is important. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So yeah. What, how we're talking about it is reverence, right? Yeah. Or like love and like an authentic desire or an authentic inspiration to like have it be a beautiful moment and mm -hmm. to get towards an even more beautiful life than it already is, right? Or recognizing the seeds of where that beauty already is and then just allowing that to grow versus some sort of confrontation as the intention or some sort of you did something to me that is bad sort yeah. of confrontation it's like no I, I everyone I, I want everyone to live a beautiful life yeah so this confrontation is gonna be about that yeah and when in reality no matter the outcome one person may leave that conversation not feeling so great the other person may leave the conversation feeling great they may, may both not feel great it is all beautiful because it all moved the needle forward and it all moved you closer to what you're talking about, unconditional love. It cleared energy. And whether that's, you know, if you have a hard conversation, that means both people are experiencing a stuck energy. And no matter what happens, the energy gets cleared and it could be sad. It could be, you could have anger. Like a lot of things could come up. It all moves you towards more freedom and more unconditional love. Mm. So then let's, I, I'd like to dive in on your wisdom with this unconditional love exists at that level and then in in my experience I'm, i've been developing this this idea around unconditional love and conditional connection with people right so like i can have unconditional love for mm -hmm. a person yeah and i can have conditional connection to a person mm. what what's your thoughts on that so what i mean is like i love everyone mm -hmm. like i i've said from a young age and i don't want to call this in you could stab my whole family and I will forgive you because mm -hmm. I'm sure to you that felt like the right thing in the right moment. That's obviously not a great thing. And I know there's got to be some deep pain. There's got to be some some reasons for that, right? Yes. And again, I have that reverence for like what is meant to be and like how things happen. Like I'm, I'm a firm believer and we create our realities <laughs> exactly as they need to be. That being said, 
as a boundary, it's like there are conditions to a level of connection mm -hmm. with, with me, right? Yeah. That might not be true for everyone. For me, it's like you can get further and further in the circle based on some of these conditions, even though I love you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think about that? I think it's brilliant. Um, I've, I've never thought about it like that. And I think it's having conditional connections is almost one of the highest forms, not almost, it is one of the highest forms of self-love when you put it like that. Because like they always say, like sometimes the highest form of love is distance, mm. is keeping, you know, for you and the other person. Um, you know, in AA, for example, there's a, this step, it's been a long time since I've been through the steps. However, I will say there's a step where you go make amends to people. And the, the caveat is, when, except when it would cause harm to you or the other person. So that's the conditional connection, like having unconditional love for that person. And like you can write him a letter and burn it. So uh, cultivating the unconditional love for that person, for yourself in that moment, and also honoring that connection is probably not the best for either of you. So in that conditional connection, it's, it's, it's more of like a standard. Like I have a standard for connecting with people. If you don't, if you're, if our standards are not aligned, the connection's not not going to be there. I can, I will still love you, and I'll see you, and see you on Instagram, or see you on the street, and I'll be, I'll see you, and say hi, and give you a hug, and our energies do not align. So therefore, at this time, the the connect the connection is conditional. Mm. Um, I, you know, thank you for bringing that up because that's a really great way to put it. Mm. I think it, I think it saves a lot of heartache and pain too. Absolutely, to have that discernment with it. It, it really comes down to like what, what we teach in the dojo slash what I'm calling now the wonder soul experience <laughs> is um, coherence is what it seems everything revolves around, at least in my mind right now mm. and in the my heart, I guess, like the way that these things are coming up. And I establish coherence as organization, is harmony, mm. right? It's equilibrium, yeah. if you will, or alignment is another good word for coherence, right? Mm. I like coherence because... It, it doesn't necessarily have the attachments that alignment does in the world right now. Yeah. In the word. Uh, who knows how much longer that'll remain. And coherence between yourself is kind of like Bufo, where it's like this reset where you come out of it and you're like, holy, I am like integrated mm -hmm. as a body. And now my mind, uh, rather my body and soul are integrated. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a higher self in this moment yes. where I'm like, I'm more love than I was before the ceremony. Yes. And my mind is still living pre-ceremony. My thoughts, the way that I have been, all of that still exists in that past. And now I have to like forgive all of that and shed that skin so that it can join the body and soul over here, right? And that's yeah. what this integration process is about. So that's becoming coherent, right? Mm -hmm. And when the body becomes coherent, in my experience of it, the mind sort of has to. Um, the mind can drag the body out of coherence, definitely, Easy. right? If you have a consistent body practice with it, yes. it's it's like it, the body will drag the mind into coherence, just like the mind will drag the body out of it, mm -hmm. right? Or into it, potentially, in some cases, right? It's just a lot easier, in my opinion, to do the body side of it than it is to do the mind side of it, although the mind is very powerful. So that being said, in relationship, in connection to people, we talk about the unconditional love, but the conditional connection mm -hmm. is coherence as well. So when you say like, you know, our vibes are different or our energies don't necessarily align right now, mm -hmm. in my opinion, that's the coherence of when you meet someone who comes up 
and you can tell they're smiling, but you can also see deep sadness in them. Yeah. You can feel that incoherence. For me, that doesn't mean I won't talk to that person. It does mean it's not going to be long before I open up a space for them to be real with me. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's a it's a definitely a thing, right? I'm sure it's the same for you where you're like, can you just can you just like be real with me? like I can tell yeah. there's like a thing there and I'd rather see the real you. Right? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a immediate block. Immediate. Like the person only can go so far. Like you have this capacity. You have this capacity mm. to go there like because you've built it in your body with the dojo with the, you know your number two pillar physical fitness and like all these things like you've built that capacity that person hasn't built the capacity yet mm. so they, they in coherence when you talk about coherence and vibration uh the untethered soul michael singer talks about samskaras stuck mm. energies mm. The, the kind of the ultimate achilles heel for coherence is a stuck energy so if you have the vibration going you create the coherence with the dojo and people are really, you hear people crying and like sighing and screaming sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like it's its one of those energies just like popping and just like a release they've never felt and they're incoherent. Mm-hmm. So that person that comes to you with sadness has just always operated as if, as if sadness is normal. So it could be an epigenetics thing. It could be something about the story they told themselves that like that sadness is my way. This is, this is what it is. Sadness is what life is for me. Mm-hmm. And they just stop there. And the stuck energy probably in their mm-hmm. sacral. And know? that's the thing, right? So this resistance to the flow of energy is the suffering that people experience, mm-hmm. right? And even even for me, right? When I resist the flow of things that are naturally occurring, that is the thing that creates the dissonance or the incoherence. That being said, that's okay. It's totally okay to be incoherent. I don't. I think if you were in full coherence body, mind, and soul, you would burst into butterflies. <laughs> you really would, because you'd be so. like, there's no yeah. point to being human now. Yeah, yeah. And now, or or rather, maybe there is a point to being human, and that is truly experiencing and taking such joy and pleasure in every single moment. Yeah. Right? Totally. And and for you, like, you notice when you're, like, once you become coherent and, and vibrational, like, alignment, then it's like, it's like when you, it's like when you start eating well, and then you eat something bad, you're like, oh, Mm, immediately great analogy you, yeah but if you're eating bad things all the time you're like oh just kind of like a low level like mm-hmm. this is okay mm-hmm. with the, the coherence that sadness the guys they're the person that came to you is experiencing is like he doesn't know any different like to him that's normal his hundred percent you have experienced this capacity in your nervous system this energy management this body to hold so you know immediately when someone comes up to you and the energy's bad you're like whoa what's going on here Mm-hmm. Or yourself. Like if you come across something that, that gives you a little bit of a trigger, you're like, whoa, okay. And you immediately, your your filter and your your you know vision is fine-tuned so that the coherence doesn't bother you as much. Out of, I'm sorry, the lack of coherence doesn't bother you so much because you know it's a quick fix. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay. All you do is like move my shoulder, take mm-hmm. a deep breath, get up, spin around, something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to fix it, and, and you're right back in, you're right back in coherence. Mm. Now... One thing you talk about how the bursting into butterflies. So in order to achieve flow state, there's the process of flow. There's like it's challenge, autonomy, mastery, and it, and you and then when you get to mastery, it's got to be challenge, autonomy, mastery, and so like you got to keep in order to stay in flow state. You can't just get to flow state mastery and expect to stay there because your body once you stop being challenged, you stop looking for flow state. So you you basically slink back, and so this thing with coherence, like once if you were to be incoherent all the time, yeah, you would burst into butterflies. And the being catching yourself out of coherence keeps you in alignment with coherence, as it does with flow state. 
Mm, beautiful. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So obviously Bufo expands capacity mm -hmm. and gives people coherence, at least in the body side of it, right? And the soul yeah. side of it. Yeah. And then the mind, you spend those three months establishing coherence so that they can remain in that state, right? Yes. Or at least a higher level of coherence on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. However, the capacity has increased so dramatically from that practice. What do you personally do? You've you've had Bufo so many times. Like, what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis to maintain your own coherence? So obviously you have your, you've mentioned your suffering, your anger, all these like primal things. Yeah. What else do you do to make, I mean, clearly you're extremely physically fit as well. <laughs> so that helps you yep. increase capacity on a regular basis, maintain that capacity mm -hmm. and also get coherent. But what else? Um, <clears throat> so my morning is huge. Uh, I'm, if, if I miss like this morning, I missed my morning by like by 24 minutes. And I know that sounds like really like dialed in and like maybe a little bit intense. And to be fair, you are also someone that holds the space and guides others through deep awakenings right. in this world. Right. So yeah. for you, like my morning routine is chill. So everyone is aware. I have like very simple things that I do. Sam is probably really intense about it. So yeah, you missed it by 24 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, I, and I, I just know those are important 24 minutes to me in my morning. And so then I, <clears throat> you know, have that feeling of like, oh, I got to make up for that. And I've also learned pretty recently to give myself some compassion. Like, oh, yeah, of I course missed, I missed it, whatever. It's not that, it's not the end of the world. I'm still going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Now my, my morning routine used to be full, like back to back, like 18 things I think I had in my morning routine at one point. Wow. Yeah. And like, it worked for a second. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then it was like... It served you. It did. Mm -hmm. And then I, and then, then after a, a, not too long, it was like, this is a lot. So I've got down to five. Now it's five. It's get up. It's, hyd it's uh, get up, breath work, meditation, journal, read, gym, move. That's mm -hmm. it. And then in that... I have, if I feel the need or if I, if I know that I have some big things coming up, I'll add in some primal screaming in the morning. Mm -hmm. You know, just grab a pillow and go in my closet or go in my car and just let out like three screams. And it's not because I'm in that moment angry and I'm pissed mm -hmm. at somebody. It's because it's a preemptive strike. So a lot of these things we talk mm -hmm. about, like you, Moving like maintaining coherence, I've gotten to the point and you... I, probably have too, where a lot of this is preemptive strikes. Mm. A lot all, of this is, of is like just keeping the space there because mm. the space will collapse on you mm -hmm. in a hurry mm -hmm. if you don't pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. And so me being mindful of like, what do I need today? I've, I've recently introduced Qigong uh, mm -hmm. this week mm -hmm. and I didn't see that coming. Well, and like you said before, once you achieve mastery, then you go back through, what was it? Challenge? It's a... Uh, yeah. Challenge, autonomy, mastery. Yes. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, you, you, in having a simpler morning routine, but with time. So 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. is my, is my time. Oh, wow. Yeah. God, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> and that's why I woke up at 524 this morning. And I was like, oh, at first I was like, oh, I, I, I shut my alarm off and rolled back over. And then, oh, what time is it? 524. I'm like, oh, okay. I've, I've gotten very good at the compassion part now. And I also have the space in there to take my time doing it. So I'm not like, you know, a Nazi about it. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm like, I can just take my time and I don't have to rush around. I can go, I can get some water before I do anything else. I can take a shower, shave, do whatever I got to do, tongue scrape, like all the things. I give myself time 
but the five big things are breath work, meditation, journal, read, move. Okay, so then move is your workouts. Yeah. For meditation, you know, I feel like there's a macro component to all of this, right? Which is the macro of your morning routine of those five things where when it was the 18 things is like, you want to live in that coherent, beautiful, high capacity state so that you can go out in the world and do the beautiful things that feel in alignment with you. Yes. Done. Let's talk a little bit about why you're such a badass now, because <laughs> this was not always the case. <laughs> and for some credibility purposes, yeah. let's talk about where you came from okay and give some people context of to how incredible it actually is that you are who you are because i'm sure at this point in the interview like okay clearly he's like a walking angel <laughs> however <laughs> yeah um challenge autonomy mastery has been quite the journey over here then a lot of the challenge <laughs> yes um i will say one more thing is that uh cold exposure has been massive for me too and i throw mm -hmm. that in that's a few times a week I'll, I'll go in the morning or in the afternoon whenever i can mm -hmm. and just get in the cold water yeah That's... doing things that are highly uncomfortable and making yeah. them comfortable mm -hmm. and allowing your your body your mind to do that on a regular basis mm -hmm. which just helps you connect to that deeper thing that soul right yeah, soul where it's like body. that has to step in to like help regulate those other two yeah and of course that's like um you know, people can kind of slowly work their way towards that with other things that are uncomfortable. Because mm -hmm. if, if you do like a 34 degree cold plunge, like that's a pretty hard first step. Yeah. So maybe work with some other uncomfortable maybe things like first. Like a warm shower. Work yeah. Your way back. Yeah. 15, like 20 seconds. Yeah. The like, 30 second cold shower. There's ways shower. to titrate into it. Yeah. Titrate into it for sure. And recognize that the more you can handle, the more you expand, the more you can hold, the more coherence you have. And the come from is everything. 100%. The intention behind it is everything. Yeah. Just doing the action or just changing your vocabulary is not the thing. It's the energy behind it. It's this, it's this inspiration to live in that more beautiful state yeah so if if that's the intention and the come from everything you do is going to increase your capacity and your coherence yes because the intention is the thing and that's my morning routine and why why i went from 18 to 5. the 18 was i was like doing all these things because i needed to be fixed like fix me in the morning fix me in the morning make sure i'm fixed before i go out into the world now how do i amplify and maintain how do I expand? Like it's, it's shifted from like trying to drag myself up to a baseline to like, I'm at a bedrock now. What's next? Mm. How can I, how can I amplify today? How can I be the best man that I can be today to serve everybody in my life? That's so beautiful. And all of it served you. 100%. Even, even when it was fix me, it yeah. did, yeah. right? That's what <laughs> but even when time. it, that was the step, right? It's yeah. just a step on the journey. Yeah. yeah. So fix me is a great segue into the yeah what were you up. fixing <laughs> <laughs> um so i'm gonna start right from the very beginning okay so um get your popcorn yeah really buckle up <laughs> um so if you had asked me five years ago maybe even maybe a little longer how my childhood was i would have said amazing um lots of love in the house no verbal physical sexual abuse Played tennis and golf all day every summer. Went skiing most most winters. Went on vacations. Didn't want for much. Um, things were really good from an external, like from my perspective. However, I was always struggling in my life. So I committed to some deep work, plant medicines, 
meditations, therapies. Like and when you say struggling in your life, what are some examples of how you were struggling? Um, financially, relationship-wise, mostly internal. So the life was in incoherence. I was way out of coherence. Yeah. Um, and, and you weren't sure why. I had no clue why. Mm. I just kept basically... So I was a tennis player and my dad was... He was like my coach slash manager. Like a pro tennis player? Almost. Mm. I scratched the surface of the pro tour. Um, and then I realized that that's not the life that I want. And I'll get there. Uh, but he would always say like in a match where I would, you know, I would, I was always the type of player that was just hit every ball as hard as I could, hit winners. And that was fun for me. But he would be like, you know, you lost the match and there's like unforced errors all over the place. And it's like, how many times his thing was, how many times do you have to get hit, hit with a two by four before you understand that it hurts? Hmm. And he was a general contractor, build houses. So it's kind of a construction analogy. And so for me, like going through life, failed relationships, failed jobs, failed self, like always been depression, anxiety. It was the, two by four to the head all the time. And just like, I don't know what's going on. And so finally I got so sick of it that I had to look. And so when I looked, I got to, um, that when I was in, in the womb, my mom, when she was pregnant with me, she, for the first few weeks, thought that I was cancer. She thought she had cancer. She didn't, she didn't know she was pregnant. And so this is back in the mid seventies and bunch of hippies hanging out and she got pregnant and she thought she had cancer. So it, it shifted very quickly to like, oh no, I'm pregnant. And I have a son on the way, love. But that initial energy hit for me was you're cancer. Mm. You're not wanted. You don't matter. I want you out of my body. You're cancer. Mm. Not good. Yeah. And so unfortunate. Yeah. It's and again, no fault here mm -hmm. at all. It's it's just I, that's what it was. Honestly, yeah. this was my soul called this in mm -hmm. because this is what my karmic contract with this world was in this lifetime. That that was the beginning of me saying I'm here for this. Mm. And to get to that point, <laughs> that was a that's a big leap. Quite a journey. Yeah. And I also now, I, I would have another way. So I, I, I chose this from that moment on, conception and past life stuff too. There's past life stuff there and around um, breath, being hung, being drowned, um, a lot of things there. And as I, so I, uh, the whole, the term of the pregnancy, when it came time to be born, uh, I had to have emergency C-section because my umbilical cord was wrapped around my head. It wasn't in the right place. So if I had been born naturally, it would have basically cut off all my oxygen. So I had to have emergency C-section. And when I came out, so basically I couldn't breathe from the second I was born. And then as I grew up, like for the first, I mean, 15 years of my life, it was a lot of the hospital. Um, I had a severe asthma, severe food allergies, and I had a tendency to choke on my food a lot. You know, I'd eat a piece of meat or sometimes rice. And I would, it would get stuck in my throat. So I had esophageal spasms. So normally the esophagus works as like, a, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, the muscles flow and they push food down into your, into your stomach and intestines. Mine would spasm out. And so the food would get stuck there. And so I had this experience from day one of this life, like being in this world of breath is at a premium. Like I, I don't have an abundance of breath. So I had this program built in me that uh, all I knew was struggle. All I knew how to do, all I knew was I have to like, I have to be on point, like on my radar, everything is a threat. Pollen is a threat. Food is a threat. Other people are threats. All that, because growing up and going to grade school and all that and breathing with asthma attacks, the kids would be making fun of me or pointing out like, oh, he's having an asthma attack. And it's very, it's very uncomfortable. So a lot of times being seen is 
one of the deep wounds that I have around being seen is like, oh, it's, it's going to go back to me not being able to breathe. Like I'll notice when I get uncomfortable sometimes. I don't have asthma anymore. However, I will, my body wants to go back to that, you know, that wheeze. And I'm like, ooh. So for me, it's that coherence. Like what's going on? Like, let me look around. Let me check in. And so for the first 15 years of my life, whether it was eating a peanut or eating some, something by accident, whatever it was, having to go to the hospital, the EpiPen, all this stuff, or um, ending up in the hospital. I was on I was playing Little League Baseball one time. So I guess I was 10 or 11 years old. Uh, having a great game, best game ever. And I hit a triple, ran around to third base, and all of a sudden everything started spinning. And my lungs stopped working. Mm. And basically I, I didn't die, but I became unconscious on the baseball field. And the next thing I know is I remember being in my dad's arms. He's carrying me across the field to the car. And I woke up in a tent in the hospital and I was in the hospital for three weeks. And that was a regular occurrence a few times a year for the first 13, 15 years of my life was just having this constant knowing in the back of my head that at any moment I could stop breathing or I could eat, I could get I could eat a peanut by accident or I might choke on my food. And so um, these programs that got installed in me were one is that life is always going to be a struggle. Hmm. Uh, you have to struggle to breathe. There's no breathing room. Uh, you everything is a threat, so you have to be super vigilant about everything. Which now I've turned into a superpower. Now, you know, I can sit with somebody like, especially with the men I work with or the people I start bufo to. It's a superpower because I can pick up on the energies and I can I can manipulate. You're things. so vigilant. So that capacity yeah. is very high. And I would like to highlight how you started this whole thing, saying about five years ago you would have said that your childhood was amazing and wonderful. Mm-hmm. And all of these things in your life were clearly not working and you were, you had no idea why. Yep. And then you went down this path and this journey of trying to figure out what the heck was actually happening. And you've been discovering all of this since. Yeah. So that, like we talked about with <clears throat> those li- the eating the food, if you eat bad food all the time, you're going to feel what you think is normal, but it's not. So for me, struggling was normal. Like I didn't recognize as a kid that, oh, I'm struggling to breathe and like there's constant threats around me. It was just me making my way through the world the best I could. And so a lot of things here, that struggle for one, eventually later in life when like when the physical stuff stopped, I, you know, I I figured out how to eat well. I figured out how to not eat peanuts and not have asthma attacks. And I figured out how to swallow my food, like all those things that were there for the first 10 or 15 years of my life were no longer there, the struggle story was still there. Because I learned, I, I never had a, I never had the time to one, love myself, two, really be a kid, and three, um, feel unconditional love in a sense of, it was unconditional love that my parents loved me and I was taken care of and they always made sure I got to the hospital. And for me, I never disassociated the reason why they love me so much from the fact that I was so sick. So I made up in my body, made up the program that, so struggle, illness, attention became my love language. Like I'm struggling, so you love me. So therefore throughout life, if I wasn't struggling, I would create struggle subconsciously. And so this looked later in life, it looked like broken relationships. It looked like going into relationships and and cheating and doing these things to create this chaos that would make me feel like I matter. And like, it would give me the reason for now you have to love me more because I've created this chaos and we're struggling now. So this is our love language. This is what we do. 
very not very sustainable mm. at all. And so, um, taking that, so I found it, it, the about eight years old. Uh, team sports were not something that I liked because of the fact that I, I felt like a burden. So on the other side of all this struggle and the, this like needing to be loved and like so I that cancer story, like from that download that I'm cancer. I created all these other things, this asthma, these food allergies, this choking on my food, because if I'm told that I'm not wanted because I'm cancer, I'm going to create reasons for you to pay attention to me and want me. And so these, all these things were, you know, epigenetically created for me to have a reason to, to love, to be loved. So five years ago, did you have like a, an insane amount of like habits and like things you did all the time to like deal with all these 3D things? Yeah, I would say it was, there were cycles. Mm -hmm. um, there were cycles of pain, cycles of heartbreak, cycles of addiction, cycles mm -hmm. of... Um, what was the darkest moment in these cycles? <clears throat> the darkest moment of these cycles. So, um, so Or rather, the darkest moment, and if that's not the same thing, what mm -hmm. was the catalyst? Yeah, they're definitely different. Mm. Um, the darkest moment, so the one thing that I never ever saw, like I knew there was things in my childhood and I was like, wow, that was pretty scary growing up like that. And I also play tennis every day and golf every day. There was love in my household. Like I saw other people that had like sexual abuse and especially getting into recover the recovery world where a lot of it is abuse trauma based. And I'm like, I don't have any of that. I didn't ever say like, cause it's all, you know, that's external stuff. Like a parent abused me or an uncle sexually abused me, whatever it is. I was like, my child was good. Like I didn't have any of that. I was like, why, why, where'd my addiction come from? And it's because that experience as a kid and feeling so different than my peers and feeling like such a burden to my family and such a burden to the teams I was playing on created this just massive amounts of shame shame of just the human that I am. And so the darkest it got for me was 2009. I was, so from, from uh, up till about 30 years old, I was, you know, normal, no, quote unquote, normal partier, partied hard, um, living in Miami, doing commercial real estate, like partied hard. And- Really hard. Yeah, and held it together. And then when I turned 30, I just gotten divorced and I moved, so I moved from Fort Lauderdale down to Miami. And from age 30 to 33, all the wheels fell off one by one just this wheel wobble this wheel wobble and so by age 33 uh i got my first dui well not my first dui but my first real consequential dui uh and ended up in rehab for 30 days this was 2007. so from 2007 and 2012 was really really chaotic addiction uh in and out of jails um spent at i think the longest i was in jail was eight nights uh, in North Carolina, uh, bouncing up and down the East Coast, looking for different places to live and the places that, you know, I would go to Miami, for example, and create all this chaos and be like, I'm going to North Carolina, it's safer there. Go to North Carolina, create all this chaos. Like, I'm going back to Delray Beach. I'm going to go to Delray Beach, create all this chaos. I'm going back to North Carolina. So just looking, running, running away from things and looking for, you know, they call it geographics, like looking for these geographics to change me. Wherever you go, there you are. So in 2009, uh, I was living in North Carolina and uh, partying all day at a football game. Uh, started at like 9 a.m. tailgating. This is now 6 p.m. And I remember walking out of a bar, second story of this bar, downtown Charlotte. It's a place called the Epicenter. Mm. Uh, second story. Next thing I know, it's Monday morning, and I'm in the trauma unit of the hospital. 
no idea how I got there. Just mm. like, what's going on? Like, I literally had my arm in like this pyramid sling. I had a catheter. Like, my jaw was like it was a neck brace on. I had staples in my hip. Uh, my elbow was like you spill a scar there. Um, just like complete confusion. My watch was on the table next to me, shattered. And I'm like, what is going on here? And so the doctors came in. And they're like, yeah, you fell off the second story of the bar. It fell 35 feet and landed on pavement below. And I'm like. And so one of the kickers here was that uh, my grandmother had a massive stroke on that Thursday. I was supposed to be on a plane to Vermont that Monday morning, but I ended up in the trauma unit after falling off the second story of this bar. So um, I didn't, I, I, I mean, I, obviously like that was a huge thing for me. Like it, it turned me into a little local celebrity in a way, like, oh, you're the guy that fell off the epicenter. And I was always like, yeah, let's do shots. And so it, it was more, I didn't look at it as like, wow, there's a problem here. I looked at it as really dodged a bullet on that one. It's great to be alive. Let's rage. And so also at this time, um, I had been diagnosed with oral cancer. So I had an ulcer in my tongue that um, had been coming and going for years. And so it was uh, finally they were like, an ENT looked at it and they said, you know what? You really need to like, we need to do a biopsy on that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so they took it out and they found squamous cell carcinoma. So no radiation or anything, legit dodged a bullet. And this is all within like this, this and the fall it's like, are all within like a three month period. Just dodging bullets. You were like Neo in the matrix. Pretty much. Mm. Yes. Drunk. <laughs> Extremely drunk. <laughs> Extremely drunk the whole time. Uh, and getting arrested in the in a few times here for like and getting all the attention and yeah. love you could ever want. Yes. Mm. Uh, so I was free of, exactly. I was free of all the physical, like, so, so from age, you know, 18 to 23, I played number one for my college in tennis. I was thinking about being on the professional tennis tour. Like things were good. I was free of the illnesses. Tennis did so much for me. Uh, it, it gave me a lot. And then uh, 20, 18 to 23, things were good. And I'm like, okay, so I stopped playing tennis. I was like, I'm, you know, it's, I don't want to be a professional, like the professional athlete. I don't, that level of commitment. I'm not interested. I had met, I had found some girls and met like the. Let me check this. Yeah. This is probably. Oh, no. Not a big deal. And so, um, stopped playing tennis. And so that's when the drinking picked up at age like 23, 24. And so, um, dodging these bullets um, till age 38 and in 2009. So in 2009, I fell off this balcony, didn't think much of it. I was like, I'm just lucky to be alive. Like, you know, I had this story, but I never really connected. I never really knew there was like this huge, basically third, uh, 18 hour period where I didn't know anything. Um, I didn't, I had no recollection of anything. And people would tell me, Oh, like, I didn't see it happen. Like some people said, Oh, I saw you get pushed. Some people said you jumped. I'm like, I don't know. And so just going through my life, like just thinking, oh, I just happened to, I, I got so drunk, I fell off the second story of a bar. Gosh, if the universe had ever had a louder, more clear message I had heard. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> and, and the fact that you're like, okay. I walked out of the hospital four days later. I mean, that was my big takeaway from it was like, I am, this was it, was, it was a little, I feel like my spiritual waking happened the day I was born. These things like this were like massive, like I paid attention to the fact that like, wow. I started to believe at that moment, I started to believe like there's, I have a bigger purpose here. Like there's some reason that I- Could here, fall like, 35 feet fall 35 onto feet, pavement. Like 
jails i've been dui wrecked cars like bad accidents like there's a lot of things in, like all the all those asthma attacks near death choking on food i started to really look at all these things that i have like basically faced death 25 times in my life i mean I've, all my friends are like dude the cat's got nothing on you <laughs> <laughs> i'm like i know <laughs> and trust me i know and i'm you know honored blessed all the things about it and so um for years just went by like oh that's I fell off the I fell off a balcony, poor like kind of poor me. So I create I continue to create this chaos in my life. And so five years ago, when I committed to this, I left AA, and I said I'm I, this is not serving me anymore. Um, AA served me very well for a very long time. Um, when I got sober in 2012 until 2017, it was the way for me, and it did everything for me. I would not be sitting here if it wasn't for it. However got to the point where it was, it started to be cyclical and I started to just not get a lot out of it. I was plateauing out. I was like, I need, I know I need to go deeper. There's things I do not know about that are keeping me in these cycles. And so um, to go back to the, what I found out about the um, fall, quote unquote, fall off the balcony. Uh, last year, I was in an ayahuasca ceremony in Peru. I was there for three weeks and the middle Tuesday, the, the smack middle Tuesday of the three weeks, um, I, it had been revealed to me how much shame I carry in the first, the first eight days I was there. And so it had been revealed to me that I carry this massive amount of shame about just not even really about the sicknesses anymore, but that's where it started. So shame is one of those things that shame gets implanted when we feel humiliation around our basic needs. So I felt humili humiliation around not being able to breathe. Kids would be like, oh, look, you can't breathe. Oh. And, you know, making fun of me, um, putting peanuts in my face, be like, oh, you can't eat this. So these basic needs, I felt shame. I felt humiliation around it. So shame like was birthed at that moment and it just grew. And then I did things to create shame and I just, and I, cause I never knew what it was. And so ayahuasca showed me like you are a shame. Everything about your life to this point has been fueled by shame and trying to cover up shame. So everything, tennis girlfriends, jobs, you name it, it was there to cover up shame. But I didn't know that's what I was doing. I was just trying to basically that same program, just survive, just make it till tomorrow, just make it to the bed tonight. Like that was my baseline existence. Mm. And so this middle night in the Maloka, it's four in the morning in the middle of Peru in the middle of the Amazon. And like it lit up like this room is lit up right now. And it wasn't like a astral place i was in the maloka and i could see everyone around me and it was light and the, it's this booming voice was like, i was at that moment of like why how did that happen about the balcony and they're like and the voice said that was a suicide attempt mm. and so i had this like you would think like you hear that you're like oh fuck like oh freak out i felt this massive relief come over me about like oh because i asked i asked ayahuasca show me how deep the shame runs and she was like okay here you go. You committed to you tried to commit suicide. And so for me, that was a huge turning point because it gave me it gave me so much of the power of shame and it showed me so much of how shame had fueled my life for so long. And so shame, you know, the opposite of shame is acceptance, significance. I matter. Don't kick me out of the tribe. So creating all these my way to stay in the tribe was to create problems. So you have to pay attention to me. So, and, and really like a lot of friends would alienate me. My, my sister stopped talking to me for five years. My mom and I strained relationship. Uh, and so like, it was a massive paradox happening here. And so from age 33 to 38, 
I was in and out of jails, six rehabs, in and out of rehabs, some for 30 days, some for 120 days, some for 90 days. And then finally, um, been through that, the suicide attempt and all that stuff and all the other jails and all that. Uh, November 22nd, 21st, 2012, I was 4 a.m., all my all the people had just left people I don't even remember their names because they they weren't my friends they were just people I would hang out and do cocaine with they all left I'm sitting there with a pile of cocaine and some bottles of rum next to me and, a, and another another voice comes in like you gotta stop you can't do this anymore you cannot go on like this like my dad's face I'd seen my dad a few days before and it was like he looked like death just the toll I was taking on him and I saw that and I saw my sisters and I saw all the people I had hurt and I saw the pain I had caused, like it was all there knocking on my door. And from that moment forward, it's been, I stopped drinking. Life did not get easy. Um, from that, so that moment forward, I ended up moving to San Francisco and started over, completely started over. For the first time in my life, I actually allowed myself to be, a second time in my life, I'm sorry. The first time in my life I allowed myself to be a beginner was with tennis. I just, I picked it up when I was eight, didn't know any better, but I, I was really successful because I was able to be a beginner. And so in sobriety, in this new life, I was, I just knew I had to be a beginner. So whatever came my way and I found personal training and I, and that matched up with my soul, serving others. It was my, it was my initiation into coaching. It was basically the start of everything I do now. And so over those next few years, San Francisco was a massive recalibration of my life learning a lot of the things that I knew about, the depression, handling the depression, great, handle the depression, social anxiety, another huge, if I feel so ashamed, walking to a group of people in a room is like, this light is literally on me and everyone's like, look at that guy, look at that weirdo, look at that guy with asthma, look at that kid can't breathe, like that's what I would hear in my head. Hmm. So a few beers, I'm like, yeah, look at me, I'm the life of the party, it would all shift. I mean, it got out of hand. And so, um, from so I was 38 uh, in 2012, and so for the next five years, deep into AA, handling the things that I was absolutely aware of, and then 2017 came, and uh, I things were good again, like successful personal trainer, had a sweet truck in San Francisco apartment, like life was good. But we still haven't gotten to the five years ago mark. This oh, is we're getting there real okay. fast. <laughs> okay, so oh, I'm scared. I'm nervous. Yeah. So, uh, so it was actually wasn't. It was actually more like three and a half years ago. Anyways, uh, it probably started five years ago. So I so I was things were really good. I had a great girlfriend. Everything in San Francisco. Again, I had not handled any of my struggle story or why I struggle or why or the shame. Like I was just handling the things I immediately knew about depression, anxiety, and I was like, I'm good. And the depression's like, no, fuck you are. <laughs> you know, Jason Bateman meme. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. 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 So I, I got, I was just, I was basically, so all that struggle stuff was like my thing, my, my, my call, save me. Everybody, girlfriends, save me. Parents, save me. Job, save me. Drugs and alcohol, save me. Friends, save me. That was my whole entire energy. And so I was saving myself for the first time as an adult. And my nervous system was like, oh, bro, if we don't like this, this is really uncomfortable. And so I, I picked up everything, broke with my girlfriend, gave up a personal training career in San Francisco where I was making like $250 an hour. I had my own business. I'm like, I'm going to Denver. 
I don't even know why. Just one day it was like Denver. Mm. Get to Denver, girlfriend and girlfriend meets somebody else, and I'm like, <clears throat> and I'm like, no, you can't meet somebody else. That wasn't mm. part of the plan. Mm. Meanwhile, I left her in San Francisco, like, and so my personal training in Denver didn't work. Like, basically everything that I had, that, you destroyed it all. Yeah, grenade. So mm -hmm. I quickly moved back to San Francisco, back to the Bay Area, kind of like got back in in uh, the flow. Yeah, and I still just recently have recovered from 2017. Like it was one of those things. I would dare say that was also a suicide attempt in some ways. Maybe yes. not as extreme yes. as the prior the prior one. Yeah. I mm. feel like there's many times in my life where I've gotten to a point not quite suicide. Like if you ask me through it all, were you, were you ever suicidal? No, not at all. But looking now that I know that, oh my gosh, I was the most suicidal dude around. Like just always tiptoeing that line of like getting close hmm. and not really knowing it. It was, it was, it was a subconscious shame, so much shame that I would, I would have these moments where I'm like, I can't, my body was like, I can't handle this. This existence is disappointing. It's sad. It's heavy. And so just like all the car, like rear ending, like flipping cars and like ending up in jail and falling off balconies. And mm. I mean, all these things like the, falling off balconies was a big one, but I would can always wake up with, bruises on my head and you know broke like cracked open elbows from falling down and so when did it finally click? so in 2017 i got back to california a girlfriend and i actually got back together and then that was that 2017 was that five-year point where i'm like finally i was like I, I got to the bottom of these stories and then 2019 the girl left me and this 2019 2017 2019 i was aware of these things we talked about this before like i was aware but i wasn't doing anything about it like I was aware that I have this like need to like sabotage my life. I was aware that I not need even I, I that I do this. And so 2017, 2019, hanging on to this relationship barely, it ended badly. Flames. I mean, just it was awful. So that 2019, January 12, 2019, I was put back into like this depression that I couldn't sleep, couldn't eat, couldn't go to work, couldn't do anything. And this was the catalyst that said you need to change everything. You need, like you were, and I, the whole thing was, I am here, I am again. This cycle of three-year relationship, heartbreak, three-year relationship, heartbreak, because I'm looking to these girls to save me. And so I read the book, uh, Stop Doing That Shit by Gary John Bishop, all about uh, the three saboteurs, what you think of yourself, what you think of others, and what you think of the world. All of it saved me, except for me. Me is, uh, I'm, I'm a piece of shit, I'm just struggling, like, Everybody in my life, every single person in my life was on a pedestal above me. Wow. To think that this was three years ago and to know who I know now, mm. was this Bufo? No. This, what, this what, was, was the, this what was the thing? The, the heartbreak. Really? The heartbreak sent me into this spiral and I had a buddy That's of mine. That's so beautiful though that it's something so... Yeah. We all experience that. Yep. That's really beautiful to know that that could have such a profound effect on someone is yeah. something that is just so. I mean, it shook me to my core. Mm. Like it ruined, it ruined me as a man. It ruined, it just. It really made you take a look at yourself for the first more time. than any of more these than, other things. More than the suicide attempt, which I didn't know about at the time. Mm. And more than like drinking, like I was like, oh, I'm sober. Life is supposed to be good. And just this was like, this was the hit that I, it, it was everything that I always needed. It really woke me up. And so the, what it did is it catalyzed me to leave AA, move to Austin. I started doing microdosing, and then I got into Wachuma, 
and some mushroom ceremonies, and then I got introduced to Bufo. And so this moment three years ago, when I had this catalyst, was the first time I can this this I saw this meme shortly after, and it said, "If if it broke your heart but opened your eyes, that was a win." This was the biggest win mm. of my life. Because mm. it, wait, wait, wait. Let's just sit with that. Okay. Repeat that line one more time. So if it broke your heart, but it opened your eyes, take that win. Mm. Ooh, that's a beautiful one-liner. Mm -hmm. Ah, I love it. Yeah, and so it, it really propelled me. So I've grown more since that day than I have in the previous six years of sobriety and really 15 years of when I first went to rehab, when this whole thing really, when I first kind of woke up. This is definitely an exponential curve. It was all oh. part of it. Yeah. And then this just went whoop. Yep. Yep. And then, and then Bufo, it went whoop again. And so with Bufo, I really feel that there, there is a, I had a, so that catalyst of heartbreak got me to a point where I saw these stories. I wasn't able to break free from them. Mm. I was looking at them and I was doing work on them and it, and it was a freedom process and it was a slow go. It was a slog. And so working through these stories, catching myself when I did it was great. And it, it was everything that I needed to to walk towards Bufo. And when I got to Bufo on that day, December 4th, 2020, the day before my birthday, that was the the day that changed my life. It was just, I, I really like, I woke, I came out of the Bufo and I said, that was the healing that I've been looking for since day one of my life. Mm. It gave me everything that I've ever needed. And it wasn't that like a medicine did it for me. It was that I had done all this work for 45 years to get to the point where I was ready to receive that healing. Mm. You know, I had been through all those things, the childhood sickness, the cancers, mm. cancer, so cancer let me, twice. Let me offer a perspective on this. Yes. Something I love to talk about is this idea of, you know, we think about rising mm. into ourselves. And of course, the further you get along on the journey, it eventually becomes, you're actually sinking deeper into yourself is the, is the more accurate context or depiction of mm -hmm. what's happening as we become even more whole, mm. right? Because we're always whole, like you said, yeah. it's always been there. It's just really discovering it. And if anything, you think of it as like archaeology, like digging up what you really are, which is inside, not outside. There's nothing mm. to go to. It's always here, just discovering it more and more. Yeah. So it's this idea of like you were becoming more and more whole until boom, you found like the treasure. Mm -hmm. And that treasure is like that alignment or that coherence that we talked about for the first half hour. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's so well said. Cause it, like that whole rising thing, it, it, it almost makes it an external thing. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you're always reaching. And this was part of my thing about leaving AA was that like, you're always fixing something. So on the other side of that problem, that conversation is I'm broken. So with the rising, you're rising, you're rising, you're rising. But when you can frame it as you like getting deep, dropping in, getting deeper, coming back home, being with yourself, being with yourself, embodying mm -hmm. who you are, that is a really great perspective. Yeah. Feeling the feelings, feeling the feelings and speaking your truth. Mm. That's... And, and that's, that's a whole epic conversation we could get into that we, we definitely are going to do a round two on this because <laughs> I'm now seeing how deep we can go on many of these conversations. Yeah. And I love the way that your phraseology is for a lot of these things. Thank you. So the feeling your feelings in your body, 
right? Feeling your body's feelings. Like you discussed a lot of like things in your body, right? And even like the, the cancer in your mouth and like mm-hmm. really being present to feeling these things over time. I like how you kept describing that. Yeah. And also feeling the feelings like of your emotions and of your mind and really yeah. like a l- listening to it right not like saying oh i don't want to think about that it's like oh that that's currently what i'm thinking about and like we talked about in bufo earlier where it reveals the let's call it the dissonance between what is you and what your mind is saying about you Mm -hmm. right and the stories and the things and the statements that we build around ourselves so then it's just this yes this beautiful beautiful way that you're wording things so then the speaking your truth is a really deep conversation of like that doesn't mean it's like full permission to say anything that you want to say to anyone you want to say it to in any tone that you want to say it right (laughs) it's the the come from we come back to that Mm -hmm. right the intention of like why things are being said yeah and i think the paradigm there that anyone could use that we offered earlier is this unconditional love Yes. And compassion for yourself is the most important thing. And that's this whole journey you've been on is like this unconditional love of like, wow, I've just been through what I've been through. Yeah. And I understand it now and I can see it beautifully. And some people can't see it beautifully yet. And that's this whole journey you've been describing. And if anyone is feeling like they'll never get there and they hear this, I hope they now realize it's possible to get there because your journey has been insane. right it's just a very high capacity journey i would say and then the conditional connection yeah um so a lot of this stuff conditional connection speaking your truth i've I've landed recently on that self-love yes self-compassion yes self-trust because so all that stuff that was wrong with you know quote unquote wrong with my body couldn't breathe couldn't swallow couldn't eat a lot of things um cancer I learned my body. I learned like I cannot trust myself from the neck down. I can't trust my physical body because it'll betray me. And so getting to the point where I learned to trust my body, this, this creates this coherence now. So the body can handle it. I, my body can handle it. I mean, it can handle a lot. You know, and so transmuting that from like I can handle a lot of struggle to I can handle a lot of fulfillment and success and Mm. space and I can hold space for other people yeah that those challenges created that capacity yeah and the shift there was that you know it's you're you actually I actually can trust my body Mm. and that means that I can trust my brain to quiet down a little bit and just be in my body as opposed to like anxiety thoughts running a thousand miles an hour in your head Okay, Sam, when people fall in love with you <laughs> and they want to learn more and yeah. they want to hear more about you, your story, your work, where do they go? How do they stalk you? Awesome. Thank you. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for having me. This has been absolutely amazing. And it's also, it's been a pleasure to be able to drop in with you these past few months in South by Southwest and get to know you and your crew and all the things you're up to, man. I deeply honor the path that you're on. I think it's super, super, super cool. Thank you. Yes, brother. Thank you. Uh, to find me, Instagram is probably the best way, at Sam Gibbs Morris. And then my website is samgibbsmorris.com. Nice. You got the exact .com. I love yeah. it. Yeah. 
Wonderful, man. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Like, mm -hmm. I, I mean, obviously the first time I met you, I was like, whoa, okay, <laughs> yeah. this dude is really intense <laughs> and has been through it. Yeah. And it's interesting, even when I look at you and ever since we met in South By or yeah, yeah. South By at the wellness exhibit, when I yeah. saw you, I was like, oh, mm. I see more. And sometimes that happens with me when I meet people. I'm yeah. like, oh, there's a whole journey to be had here mm -hmm. together. And yeah. I don't know what that journey is, but I just feel that energy. So I know that that is happening now. Yes. And I'm excited about it. So thank you so much for, for this next iteration of our journey together and coming on and gifting everybody with your wisdom and your, your stories. And, and I hope we get to do another one soon and they can yeah. get so many more pieces of, of information from your journey. Absolutely. Brother. We'd love to. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Like it's in the tree like our minds tasted the